Hello, welcome to yet another episode of Beyond the Present Podcast. My name is Daniel Morgan, and I'm here joined live from Canada by Pujix. That's right. Hey there, my man. How's it going? Life is awesome, man. How are you? I am doing terrific. And of course, we have Kenny back for yet another great episode. Hey there, Kenny, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. And I heard that you're actually on your way to uh, drop your uh, basically brother at the airport and stuff. So what's the issue? Is it for New Year's holidays and stuff? Oh, yeah. Actually, he's um, he's going to surprise his wife. Um, she is due, I think, around in three or four days. And Are you kidding is, me? Oh, yeah, my. Yeah. So she, wow. did, she did, like, uh, like when he came here, um, she knew that he's not going to be there when she's due, but he made the plan last minute, and he's going to go there and surprise her. Wow, dude, I love surprise <laughs> plans. Holy, He's going to get some brownies for that surprise, I'm pretty sure. That's very good for him. Fabulous, and yeah. I wish him the best. So uh, hopefully we're going to see uh, what's going to uh, come afterwards, and if something happened, please let us know about the stories and uh, what transpired. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe a whole new movie scenario will be created as a result of this, this amazing experience. It's wonderful. What now I want to talk about is uh, the topic today, which is somehow different than surprising your partners. Uh, of course, we love that, but this is a very different issue, and that is the concept of education. So, uh, Kenny, I heard that you have majored in education, actually. Yeah, so I'm actually doing my master's in teaching, so um, a lot of concepts around education and 21st century education. Um, that's what I've learned. Uh, I just started this past September, so it's been four months in, um, and I've, I've learned a lot in these four months. Um and I've also got to experiment that in a class in a classroom environment. One question: What exactly is the field of education? I mean, like you guys learn how to teach others, or there's a lot more than that. Essentially, in in in, in this field, there's um, for my specific program is uh, it entails teaching, and when I say teaching, it's about teaching students. So it's up till grade twelve. Um, but you can also you can also combine a PhD in education if you want to and then you can further go into the education field and in that case if you go down that path then you would be inclined with uh, or working with the the university or high higher education fantastic Not, uh, school education but higher yeah but why exactly you pick this field of studies because that's uh, from my perspective a very difficult field and of course it requires you to mm-hmm. really love what you're studying so why you pick Definitely. this field out of all the others it's um, first. Uh, first of all, um, when I was in, like, I I I did an undergraduate degree in computer science, and I was in the in the industry working for two years, and I just I just found something missing, and I think uh, while the work was good and it it did pay me well, uh, I think the rewarding factor wasn't there for me, and uh, teaching is something I've done throughout my undergrad so I was a teaching assistant so I'd had I had exposure to working with kids be it tutoring one-on-one or in a class of 20 to 25 students and that that was something that I, I always found um, I, I, I always had a sense of enjoyment whenever, whenever I uh, got to teach and that was a main driving force for me to make that move and 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 move into uh, an actual field where I can now have a license and that makes me you know equipped to teach students and again i'm aligned with teaching what i've done in my undergrad so my teachables for example would be math and computer science because that's where that's what my expertise is in 
Fantastic. Of course, education is not a field that is unfamiliar to Pujiks. As far as I know, Pujiks, you're also uh, basically engaged with tutoring and education. You're, you're an astrophysicist. You probably will have a lot of teaching experience, you know, in the future. So uh, what is your perspective regarding the concept of education and teaching? Oh, yeah. So like, like Kenny mentioned, I really always loved the notion of explaining stuff to people and helping them understand something they didn't, or at least my point of view on that. Parts of parts of the reason I joined you to start this podcast was the same thing, honestly. Uh, obviously, other reasons too, but uh, it, I love to express opinions and gain opinions, and just uh, that exchange is wonderful. And in my personal tutoring, one-on-one, especially uh, experience, I found that it's not just me teaching those students and those kids, or mostly high school kids, uh, something they actually do teach me a lot, and I get to be in contact with the future generation, whether help them to. Uh, build a better future for themselves, but at the same time, learn how they think, how they, uh, what they want, or uh, how they see the world, which is, which is, uh, I think, very, very interesting and probably even necessary for me. Wow. And, you know, not long ago, I was reading an article about why people choose different professions. And it was like mentioned, the guy who loves money chooses business, the guy who loves power chooses politics, the guy who loves, for example, details chooses engineering. And, uh, Generally, it was pretty amazing for me. Like the people who chose uh, teaching and being a professor, oftentimes were attributed to loving uh, learning and trying to expand their knowledge and growing. So, I want to ask you right now you both show tremendous interest in learning and expanding your knowledge and abilities. So, I don't think that you guys are teaching just for the sake of teaching others, but you also enjoy this process and you learn from it. I mean, you just mentioned right now, Pooja, you actually learn from your own students. How is that, by the way, possible to learn from your own students? Because when you're working, let's say, you're teaching these guys mathematics or physics or whatever how can you learn while teaching well that's right so one of the things i think it's uh especially with uh younger students is very obvious is that um we get as we get older we get very set on our own ways and we have some very relatively more rigid view of the world but the 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 student's sense of curiosity sense of uh wanting to know and create that sort of rigid thing that we already created reminds me of how certain this whole thing is and you can really easily uh come and reevaluate it and go rebuild it or or at least uh, build rebuild parts of it that you think might not be as uh, compatible as you thought wow. uh, so so that is obviously with younger students that is the most uh, interesting thing that i get out of it and well it's, it's very easy it's you know it but it's very easy to forget it unless you're in constant contact with it. There's just one example of such a thing, but these interactions uh, are never uh, fruitless. That's so true. And Kenny, back to you, you yourself, uh, you've, I'm pretty sure you've had a lot of teaching experience uh, up until now with being mm-hmm. a teacher assistant and all that stuff. So how do you think teaching has actually changed and affect your, basically, uh, mindset? Because you have obviously changed in the process of teaching others and trying to expand their knowledge. And you mentioned earlier that the reward that you felt and sensed from teaching was not comparable to that of which you acquired in the corporate Canada, for example, working for companies so what is that exact reward you're talking about why is it that that field seems to be so much fulfilling uh, when you compare it to let's say working in a company or in corporate uh, let's say america or whatever it is why is that so fulfilling for you 
I think it, it really comes down to the foundations of uh, different concepts as students learn. Um, for example, in math, when you learn how to add numbers or you, add, you learn how to multiply numbers, uh, now that's a very fundamental concept, but it's uh, the applications of that concept is used in our day-to-day lives when we go for shopping, when we have to fill gas, when we have to buy you know furniture for the house. Uh, these things are in real, uh, real-time applications. And one thing that is more interesting for me is to help the student um, build their own knowledge um, when when you teach them a new concept. The idea is not to tell them two times two is four and you should memorize it, uh, but help them in that uh, meaning-making process. And each student would be building their own meaning, but the benefit of that is that that meaning is going to stay with them as they move in high rates and even the professions that they pick in their own lives. Wow, that's a good point. And of course, as you can you know, see around us, people generally, especially the younger ones, don't have a very good attitude towards education. Because let's be honest, education is something that is done unto them since a very young age. It's like almost forced upon them. And they look into the whole notion of education as something that they have to get rid of as soon as possible and never get back to. And we know that's no longer the case. We live in the, you know, the age of information where we have to be constant learners. So a lot of us around, I'm mean, just take a look around you right now. A lot of us, we have lost that passion, that zest for learning and for education. Whereas, if you somehow find some solutions that we can actually implement in society, this might improve the overall quality of our lifestyles by knowing how to learn new stuff and then apply them to our lives and businesses. So, Pujix, why do you think that zest and passion f- towards educational learning is on a decline these days? And more, more importantly, what can be done about it? Well, I, I clearly sense it as uh, the same the same way you say uh, it's in decline. But I, although I have no idea if it's actually factually correct, like if we actually done studies to suggest that, I don't know about that. And I, I, frankly, I don't really care. So, uh, parts of the reason, if if that's true, parts of the reason that it can be is because of what you mentioned. It's mainly forced onto people, and that's never uh, encouraging unless you actually love every aspect of that thing. So. In my personal experience with uh, individual students, I try to appeal to their uh, sense of curiosity. So I first get to know my students, see what ticks uh, them, what what makes them, in, what are they interested in the most? Because all the young students, at least, well, probably all the students, have one or two areas that are very obviously uh, encouraging to them. They, they really like it, appreciate it. So I try to connect whatever I'm teaching to them, to those things that they like. Let's let it be, for example, if that's soccer, I try to draw analogies from that field with the, with the, with the subject that I'm teaching them. And that helps quite a lot. And actually it makes them more interested in that field because they feel it's not as foreign and as, uh, you know, uh, weird as they thought it would be or unpleasant as they thought it would be. Interesting. So how about you, Kenny? You're an expert in this field. Uh, what's the reason behind this decline? And uh, in your studies, is it actually proven that this is on decline or is this just something that we sense and feel around us? And more importantly, could there be any way to boost that passion and zest among learners to change their perspective towards the whole notion of education and to make them more inspired and excited to actually study, to learn and to grow? 
Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And I think that's the dilemma of a lot of uh, educators, a lot of parents, um, a lot of people. Uh, essentially, it boils down to a lot of things. For example, if you go to U of T, uh, which is University of Toronto, um, and if you're a, gra- a graduate student from that university, then automatically the employers would have a different set of ex- expectations from you, whereas to say you go to a different university because of the ranking that is in place. Now, um, just having that system or that framework in place does not necessarily mean the students would be following that or would be within the boundaries. You know, you you might find somebody who is just an average coming out of University of Toronto, uh, whereas somebody else is expecting them to be, you know, like a, a brilliant or a smart student. Uh, what My point here is that... Um, the systems or the frameworks that we have in place, they are, uh, they are coming in from uh, like a lot of years ago when we had industrialization, and a lot of these things are in exist are, are what's being used even in schools, high schools, the way uh, students are tested, um, the way they are marked, the way they are graded. All of that is really a result of the industrialization, and little effort has been made into changing or changing the way we assess our students um, one thing that I learned in my that I've, I have learned in my teaching uh, degree is that um, the importance of inquiry teaching um, the idea is that you're teaching as a teaching as an inquiry so um, that facilitates the meaning making process that I mentioned earlier uh, where students are not just shown information but they're given the tools and the teacher acts as a facilitator and it's a guided inquiry where the teacher guides the student and it facilitates the student asking the right questions and even if they ask a question which is way off the topic the teacher can use that as an opportunity because that could be a misconception that could be a a, a wrong understanding of the concept and it can use that as an opportunity to further aid the inquiry within the student um, now, it's inquiry itself in general is something that a lot of policymakers are not in sync with mm-hmm. because they were not taught that way. So, for example, the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, he does not believe in the discovery process, which is the idea of inquiry when you're teaching mathematics. But research has shown that students who are involved in inquiry, they do end up retaining information better. Uh, over longer periods of time and then the other benefit of that is they actually develop an interest because they're not given a set of rules to follow interesting they are building they're building their own knowledge and the teachers are to guide them and then this can be in the process of you know where instead of having a final exam out of say 100 marks in 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 high school, you can have a project where everyone is working together. Uh, the benefit of that is it's facilitating interpersonal skills. So they're they're building on the teamwork skills, they're building on problem solving, they're building on conflict resolution, in addition to actually doing the problem. These are all great, right, so. but uh, you know, I got to ask you right now one question because I have another criticism of the current education system right now, and that is the fact that I don't know why, but I have this feeling that, especially like when it comes to like K twelve education or like uh, you know undergraduate, we have this huge focus on two types of intelligences, which are linguistic and mathematical logical. But as we know, that we have seven different types of intelligences mm-hmm. that are not discussed so much in the field of education. I mean, a lot of us think of like a lot of those uh, people 
people who are geniuses in other types of intelligences, let's say musical or bodily yep. kinesthetic or perhaps uh, interpersonal intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, and many other fields of intelligence. So mm-hmm. why do you think the current field of education only exploits the two major types, which are linguistic and uh, mathematical logical, and ignores all the others? And more importantly, what could this field do to actually exploit all of that geniuses and talents of the people who might not be very talented linguistically or mathematically, but might have other types of intelligence that could be used to make the society a lot better? I think uh, I would uh, I would beg to defer um, on your point there in terms of that people are not following what they like doing. Um, I, I would talk more from an, at least an Ontario point of view where there are tools in place where when students go to high school, they pick what they want. They're not being forced what to pick. Their parents are not telling them what to pick. They themselves are making the choice. So somebody who wants to uh, pursue in the field of engineering or computer science would be picking mathematics, obviously, or computer studies in high school. Versus somebody who's who's has an interest in music or arts, for example, you can go to an art school. The uh, in addition to the subjects, the main focus of that school would be primarily on, on arts programs or things like drama, visual theater. There's a lot of programs in Toronto. Um, I can talk about Toronto because um, I've I've known about the school since I started my degree, and I, I see I've seen also students in the school that I went to where they had a clear notion and understanding of what they want to do. So not everyone in the school, in my class that I was teaching, not everyone were going, going to go in engineering or mathematics. They, they knew what they were interested in, and their parents, um, in the parent-teacher interviews, they also knew what their students wanted. So you're saying, you're saying if somebody does not have any, for example, intelligence, mathematically or linguistically, can he just skip all of these things and just focus, let's say, I don't know, is there such thing as like a, let's say, sports school where they just focus yeah, on athleticism? Yeah. So, so there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a school in Scarborough called Birchmont Collegiate Institute where stu- it's, uh, it's an athletics program. So students are there, they're studying, but the main focus is athletics. So they're given more opportunities, they're better equipment, there's more places where you can compete, and there's better trainers who can help you get where you want to be. Interesting. Um, so you're saying that so, currently, yeah. with the current system, people are now being allowed to use and exploit their true intelligences, even if that's not a typical linguistic or mathematical intelligence. So, uh, um, um, in my opinion, yes. And I think uh, where your question comes, it really boils down to the global education uh, field. Because uh, coming from India, we like I remember I didn't have a lot of options given to me. Uh, I was pretty much forced to pick what I wanted to. Um, and then my parents didn't give me a lot of a plethora of options. And there's a distinct difference in the education in Canada because students here are given the, the choice and the option to pick what they want. And, uh, you know, they're making those decisions early on in high school. So later on when they have to go to university, you know, they're more well-equipped. So no, re- no wonder you find people in university who are, you know, changing their minds because they've done that in high school. They have the flexibility. They, have the, they, they would not be hesitant to change their degrees based on what their interests are. But one quick question, because you mentioned, you know, originally you actually, you graduated from high school in India. So a lot of us, we know uh, a lot of whiz kids and geniuses from India and China who are now literally swarming the headquarters of, let's say, Ivy League universities and whatnot. So do you yourself, since you are now an expert in education and you yourself have passed your high school with uh, courses that were forced upon you, 
Aren't you uh, somehow satisfied with the fact that you were forced to take those courses? Or if you went back through time, you would have actually changed your approach. If you had the option of not, for example, being forced to study mathematics, wouldn't you have done it? Or you would have perhaps changed your uh, philosophy overall and changed your approach? I don't think so, because um, math has played a very important role in my life, and I've had an understanding and a, a very deep uh, liking for the subject and, uh, you know, the discoveries and whatnot since, as far as I can remember, since grade 7, 8. And that has always kept me interested in mathematics. Um, now, obviously, I knew mathematics is not going to lead me to a lot of jobs, so hence I picked computer science that goes with it. And um, I've, I also like computer science because computer science builds uh, a lot of mathematics, and a deep foundation of mathematics is required, even if you're in AI or machine learning, because those two fields are very intersectional. Um, but for me, I think I've always wanted to go down the path of math just because that's the when I say uh, forced upon back in India, it's I think that's the common norm. So you find a lot of people, a lot of students who go to engineering and then they just do a complete pivot and they go for an MBA and now they're in business. Uh, my point there is that, OK, why would you go? Uh, do an engineering when you when you when you wanted to end up in business, uh, and you find a lot of students like that where they just do engineering because you know and like there's a few options to pick from, but later they're like okay like, like business skills are important, so let's just do an MBA. Um, so um, essentially, that engineering background is not at all is not that useful mm-hmm. once you're in the MBA field. Interesting. So that's right. That's right. I got your point. Let me go back to Pujas here for a second and to ask about his opinion regarding the matter and the efficiency of four systems versus systems that allow you to actually change your courses and focus on your own intelligence. So Pujas, what's your perspective? Well, as, as, uh, well, Kenny knows better about education systems at least in here, so I, I take his word for it. And uh, it's, it's obviously true that you have more options, uh, say, in Canada here uh, than a lot of other places. But ultimately, I think one of the forces coming is not actually through uh, lack of option there, but rather what you're able to do in the future. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you pursue art, your options are very much limited in terms of making your uh, your uh, living through throughout your adulthood so a lot of people might love to go do art but not do it because they're uncertain about the future and i think that's a very much more systematic problem not narrowed down to education that we have to solve because these people obviously have talents that we can actually tap into and use to advance our civilizations as we did in the past that's right Uh, and we are still doing it but not to the degree that we can do i suppose uh we can have more efficiency in in all these areas i personally am a uh, a person of uh, mathematics and obviously I'm doing astrophysics so so um, so, so I don't have a problem with going after uh, these uh, logical uh, areas but I think a lot of people would rather pursue something else that are forced to again by either by lack of option in their youth or lack of uh, opportunities in their futures that they're concerned with Interesting. And in Beyond the Present podcast, in addition to STEM, we're also concerned with the concept of futurism. So I want to move on to you right now, Kenny, and ask you about your perspective regarding the future of education. Because let's be honest, things are changing. The classrooms are changing. People are now using Mm -hmm. phones uh, uh, to use almost everything, find all information. And we have this technology changing all of it. So as an expert in the field of education, 
What is your perspective regarding the future of education and how do you think our future classrooms might be different than these uh, classrooms today and whether or not we might actually have a complete revolution where classrooms might even disappear and teachers will no longer be necessary? So what is your perspective regarding the future of education in the coming decades? Um, I think um, being in the 21st century, there's a lot of a lot of um, decisions to make, and uh, that goes for uh, not just for the teachers, but also for the policymakers who uh, enforce the policies in the different school boards uh, all across the world. And uh, one of the key uh, one of the key uh, realizations in the 21st century, at least, is the use of um, media because media literacy uh, is playing a very key role, and we are bombarded with information all across uh, the internet, for example, but also. Uh, that do uh, lead us into our classrooms. And when we do see a distinct difference between what we are doing outside of classroom and what we're doing inside of classroom, that's a very big reason why people would not be interested in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, one reason for that, obviously, is that, okay, I'm just doing a lot of cool stuff outside, and when I come to class, it gets boring. And it's very it's very natural for somebody to just look at it from that point of view and be like, okay, I'm not interested in this. And I think it's very it's a very natural uh, human instinct to be in that or to fall in that category. Um, and 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 the way that this can be easily tackled is by including in your curriculum things which are making use of uh, smartphones, making use of people using that for actually learning um, something about. Um, and this is this has been done. Uh, people are doing it. Cl- classroom teachers, um, at least in Toronto, they there's a phone use policy, so wow. students are not students are not um it's not prohibited that you can't use phone unless it's it's uh there could be some teachers who explicitly say that i don't want you to use it but the school policy is that you cannot take away the phones from the students because they have the right to it now if they have the right to it why not build a curriculum where you know they are actually using it for educational purposes there's a lot of there's a lot of classes that uses laptops. A lot of classes that you and and, and you can see a distinct uh, enthusiasm and, and charisma on the students' faces when the moment they know they're using tablets or laptops. Now, if you see that and you know it's uh, a lot of it is uh, because of uh, the century that we are in, 21st century, and there's so much of intersection going on. Uh, the key idea is to make things cross-curricular. You can't just think of math as math. That's right. You have to think about math in sync with physics. You have to think about math in sync with geography. You know, like population wow. density, that involves math. You know, when we're looking at different uh, geographical areas, we talk about population density, but that, you, you know, you're playing with the numbers. And that's where the intersection of these two things are coming in. Now you can take it local and you can t- talk about the population density in your own local neighborhood. And then you can now create a project using a software on your laptop. So this is a lot of cross-curricular things going on. And then you can incorporate other things. Like you can have a self-reflection component where students are now writing about it. So that's building their literacy. Wow. They can have conversations about it. They can have like debates around what they think because people have um, their own decisions. And now have facilitating that de- uh, debates or oral discourse is very key in today's world because you find so many people online on social media just voicing their opinions, thinking that that's, you know, like they, they're just going to voice their opinions. And that's about it. They if somebody disagrees then you know like to help with them they they're not willing to actually have a discourse online which i feel is the most um i think that's a side effect because people just want to voice their opinion but they're not willing to um 
answer somebody who has a different opinion because that's their voice and they're not willing to answer them back. I feel like the more we facilitate these kind of conversations in class, the better the students would be equipped, not just for whatever they want to, whatever fields they're interested in, but also, you know, just be uh, members of the 21st century where they're involved with technology, where they're learning about new things on a day-to-day basis, and also making decisions that, you know, as as uh, members of the society making decisions that, you know, not just promote the wellness of environment, but also, you know, promote uh, an education field, which is progressing, and also a field which is constantly evolving. Wow, wonderful. And let me hear Pujish's perspective regarding the future of education. Well, I don't want to build too much on that. But uh, the fact that specifically with the with the social media and all those discussions and opinions, I think I, I couldn't agree with more with Kenny. And I think one of the things that we haven't been taught, our generation and olders haven't been taught because we were not expecting this uh, environment of social media. It's all new to all of us. We don't know what to do with it. I think we have a better chance of educating the younger edu- uh, generations to do better. Uh, well, ourselves too, but obviously younger generations are in the process of learning exactly. that opinions you're free to your opinions but you are also responsible for them you have to own them you have to be able to listen to other people's opinion at the same time as expressing yours and trying to negotiate what is a better opinion or not so that's 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 a very good thing too that that i hear uh, hopefully being done more in the future but it's encouraging that people are thinking about it that's wonderful um, you I have just, anything else to say I just want to quickly add to on to that about opinions. One thing that is, is um, as, a, as, a, as a person, say, who has a PhD or somebody who's heavily focused in the research, anytime you say something, you would probably have done your research. The idea there is that your opinion is, a, is an informed opinion. It's not coming out of what you think. It's not a prejudice. It's not a bias. And I think um, one thing that... Uh, uh, w- with the idea of um, uh, forming your own opinions, but also forming uh, informed opinions has a very bigger effect because imagine if you have a students who can do that, not just verbally, but written, and that has such a tremendous impact because um, tomorrow, if you want to write to your policymaker, you want them to reevaluate the policy that they've written, you can actually write a very persuading letter to your local counselor. And then they can actually take it forward. You know, it's 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 the idea of creating uh, citizens uh, that are, um, you know, working together. But also it's the idea is that it's not just about people who are in the higher education who need to know who you who need to have an informed opinion. In today's world, a lot of people think that only if you get a Ph.D., you're considered smart or you're considered um, like, you know, you know, you know what you, you know, your stuff. But that's not true from your perspective. Exactly, because you can have a high school student, you know, having the same, uh, can have a discourse with a PhD student, and you know, like, what if um, they're, you know, keeping up with each other? Like, so you know, true. like that—that's breaking all the stereotypes out there. That is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. So overall, uh, the thing is this, and now that we've talked about the issue of education in depth, uh, unfortunately we're running out of time here, and I would like to actually wrap up this show about the concept because we all understand the importance of education, and we know that without it there is no future because that's the very foundation of future, which means uh, learning and education becomes for us at least here at the Beyond the Present podcast a major priority. But with that being said, let's try to wrap up the show and reach a conclusion. So Pujix, after all that we talked about the concept of education, what is now your... Your final thought. 
I'm I'm very optimistic. I'm, I'm uh, this is one of the very. I mean, I mean, I'm an optimistic person in general, but this is one of the areas that I'm very optimistic. Uh, do although there are, there are very uh, you know uh, things to be done and a lot of uh, progress to be made, of course. But when it comes to younger generation, it it just means opportunity, and that's that's amazing. We just have to not screw it up and let it take on. And I, I'm I'm excited. Fantastic. And Kenny, as the expert, what is your final comment? I think um, education is a constantly evolving field, and as educators, it's very important for the educators to understand a, a critical role that they play in, in in this equation, and how they can you know be um, as an educator as well, just not just take what is given to you, but you know constantly evaluate what you're doing, and also if anytime you see some differences that you think are not right, you should always you know be ready to challenge your authority because people who are the policy they but most most often uh, they they don't it's it's a, it's a common theme that they don't have or they haven't done much research on their own on when they put forth policies that make no sense Fantastic. Uh, because that's what that's what they think is right um, but the educators in the field are clearly disagreeing with them so it's very important for educators to make that change and I, I feel even the students and I feel we're going down that path and um, I would just like to say that anytime um, during my time in the school when I saw uh, the smiles on the faces of the students when they figured a concept, like that was the most rewarding experience for me. Wow. You are truly a wonderful educator, and we are so glad to have you on board for this show to discuss the ins and outs of education. That's all the time we have for. Basically, I want to thank both of you, Pujix and uh, Kenny, for your great time to be here with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And for our listeners right now, do you know that you can actually leave your suggestions and have your topics discussed in Beyond the Present podcast? So right now, why don't you go ahead and leave your messages on our website or simply contact the producer of the show, Puya LJ. You can actually reach him on Instagram, P-O-U-Y-A-L-J, basically on Instagram. You can actually reach him other places as well on Gmail. So leave him also some messages, some comments, some topics that you would like us to discuss in our future programs. And that's all the time we have for. My name is Daniel Mulgan, and this was Beyond the Present Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.